Now, you follow as I read a portion of God's Word from Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 9. I'll read through verse 14. It reads like this. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and he was restored healthy like the other. The Pharisees went out and conspired against him. How to destroy him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Well, here we are on another Sabbath. Not us, the text. Um, Another Sabbath confrontation. Um, Was this the the same Sabbath that we saw last week in the opening uh, eight verses? Luke says no. Luke has a version of this story, and Luke says it was another Sabbath. But this was not the first time that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. In fact, there are seven different healings that Jesus performs on the Sabbath. Hmm. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? That maybe he is trying to send a message some kind of message. He also performs this, of course, in their synagogue. Um, But the issue is the same. The Sabbath. Sort of. We'll explain later, but the opponents are the same. It's the Pharisees. And the Pharisees... um, Jesus deals with, and then he deals with a healee, someone he heals. So that's what we're going to do this morning, look at the the opponents or the issue that they raise, and then look at the man that is healed. The issue, at first glance, appears to be what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. Um, folks, Judaism had a book. In fact, they still have the book. Um, Judaism is still governed by a book called the Mishnah. The Mishnah is a book of interpretations about the law. So each of the laws of the Ten Commandments are mentioned and discussed as to, they, they tease them out as to what can and can't be done Uh, according to this law. So when it comes to the Sabbath, there were 39 different things that were prohibited on the Sabbath in the Mishnah. Um, And one of the things that was prohibited, astonishingly, was healing. You can't heal on the Sabbath. As if there were just a lot of healings going on, you know, a lot of healers around just doing healing, you know, right and left. 
They were a dime a dozen. So we got to regulate them. You can't heal on the Sabbath. Um, the only healing that could be performed legitimately, according to the Mishnah, was a healing that was a matter of life and death. But a withered hand is not an issue of life and death. So, according to the Mishnah, that needs to wait until tomorrow. You don't need to do that today. You don't need to, you know, violate the Sabbath. You just, you just wait and uh, you do that tomorrow. Folks, the intent of the Sabbath, and, and by the way, the intent of all the laws, was for man's well-being. They weren't intended to, to rob you of some kind of pleasure. But Judaism didn't see it exactly that way. Um, I, would, I would think you'd agree with this, that most people with two good hands would rejoice that a man with one bad hand would be healed at any time. But not this crowd. Um, this healing that Jesus performs here in Matthew 12, according to the Mishnah, needs to wait until tomorrow. It needs to be done after the Sabbath. That was the interpretation of the Mishnah. The Mishnah's interpretation of the Sabbath law. Because you see, this crowd, the opponents, they loved wielding authority. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the real issue. Isn't it funny how often that issue comes up in the New Testament? That is, who has the authority? You know, um, <clears throat> if you've got the authority, <clears throat> pardon me, then that means that people are under you. And you get to give the instructions. And we love to give the instructions. We love to be the one who's over the other people so that we can be the ones with the authority that can then say, mm, 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 mm. Um, See, you, you see, if, if, if I'm the interpreter of the law, then that means that I'm the one with the authority. Now, now guys, last week uh, in the passage before us in Matthew 12, Jesus made some mind-blowing claims about himself, and one of which was that he was, in essence, the Lord of the Sabbath, or the giver of the Sabbath, or the one who had the authority to interpret the law. Now, I want you to watch how that comes into play in this little episode. 
the Pharisees confront Jesus and they, they ask him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Well, they already knew the answer to that question. It's right there on page 43 in the Mishnah. And watch how Jesus responds. First of all, he doesn't ask to answer their question. In fact, he turns the question into a statement. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now, folks, who could disagree with that? What kind of human being would say, well, it's not good to do good on the Sabbath? Who would say that? Now, you might think it. But surely you, oh, I don't, I don't think it. I mean, I think it's unlawful to do good on the Sabbath. I mean, if you're going to do your good, you need to do your good on another day, not that Sabbath day. Who would say that? So do you see what Jesus has done? He's just... He ignored their question, he inserts a statement, and he has backed them into a corner. In essence, he's embarrassed them in front of their audience. And in his so doing, he has offered another interpretation of the law. The Mishnah says this, ah, here. Here is what, what I say. Um, now, that may have shut them up, at least for the moment. But they fight on. They live to fight another day. Because they understand <clears throat> that what Jesus has done is to pit his interpretation of the law over against their interpretation of the law. So the question becomes, who has the authority? Me, says Jesus, or the Mishnah? Where does the authority lie? And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what's at stake. Um, now, to prove that their interpretation was wrong and his was right, and that indeed he does have the authority to interpret the law, he performs the miraculous. Gang, the miracle here in this paragraph is, is, is a means to an end. Don't get caught up in the miracle. The point is, oh, Jesus does miracles. Well, of course he does miracles. The, the miracle, though, is simply to establish his right to interpret the law. Gang, he has done this before. Do you remember the story in Mark chapter 2 about the paralytic? Remember that? And there was such a crowd in the house, nobody could get in, and so the, his friends take him up on the roof, and they open up the roof, and they lower him down 
Remember that story, it's in Mark 2. And um, he looks at the paralytic and he says, um, your sins are forgiven. And the opponents say, that's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And then he replies, in order that you might know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins on the earth, hey, Bubba, get up. Do you see, ladies and gentlemen, that the miraculous is almost... It is the subplot. It's not the thing that's teaching us the lessons. It's just confirming his claims. In, in Mark 2, the claim is that I have the authority to forgive sins. Get up and walk. But over here in our text this morning, the miraculous is simply a confirmation of his claim. Because, ladies and gentlemen, the battle before you in this passage is not who has miraculous powers and who doesn't. The battle in this, in this little story is about who has the authority. Gang, um, this is not a battle of miraculous powers. This is a battle for control. You ever been in one of those? In your marriage? In your family with your children? at the office. You see, if he has the authority, which, you know, is unthinkable, but if he has the authority, that means that I am being called to submit to him. No way. No. You see, if he has the authority, that means I've got to yield to him. Nope, I, I, um, I, I cannot do that. If he has the authority, it means that his definitions matter and mine don't. No, can't do that. No. No, I'm the one who gets to define um, what is genuine uh, sanctioned sexuality. Not him! You see, if he has the authority, it means that he rules. And I don't. Gang, have you um, seen any of the demonstrations that have been taking place on the steps of the Supreme Court of late in response to the overturning of Roe v. Wade? You ever seen any? I mean, have you, have you just seen... I haven't studied them. I just seen passing 
But one of the, the signs that were being held up by one of the demonstrators, I, I, I did notice, and the sign said, my body, my choice. <laughs> oh, the Pharisees would have loved that one. Because it really says the same thing that they're saying. They're saying, we're in charge here, not you. And that sign is saying the same thing. I'm in charge here. Not you. You know, folks, when somebody says to me that they've got these deep intellectual hang-ups over Christianity, I don't believe them for one second. Because it's really not an intellectual debate. It's really not a battle of the minds. It's a battle of the wills. I'm in control of my life. The, the people in Matthew 12 and the people today that we know who don't like Jesus, They don't like him because he's the one that claims to be in charge. I am accountable to him. its teeth and says not on your life dear one if you're here outside of the household of faith if you're not a Christian just yet don't you see it don't you see that that's your issue the issue is not some kind of intellectual hang up the issue is my body, my choice, my life, I rule. I define what's right and wrong. I interpret, not you. So that's the issue, ladies and gentlemen, in this unfolding event. The, the miracle is wonderful. I'll comment briefly on it, but it's just a means to an end. It's just trying to underscore the point of who has the authority. 
And that is the subject that comes up over and over and over again in the New Testament. Now, about the, the healy, the guy with the withered hand. There, there are some folks, like this guy with the withered hand, uh, who has this, uh, he has the, at the end of one of his arms, this withered, dead, useless thing. Well, he has a problem. And he has a problem that is so big that he cannot fix it himself. So um, he's tried on numerous occasions to, um, to fix that hand, but he's failed. You know, it's kind of like, it reminds me of Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, in chapter uh, 1, he, he says, uh, well, you know, I tried, I tried pleasure. I, I didn't work. And, uh, and then I tried alcohol. Uh, that, that didn't work either. And then I, I, I tried uh, success. Well, that, that, would, that left me uh, empty. And then I tried money. But, no, but nothing worked. Well, this guy, he's tried to stretch it out. He's tried to, you know, force it open. But, you know, it's, um, it, nothing has worked. And so he brought to Jesus something that was dead. Well, you know, guys, I, I just said that he brought to Jesus. That's really not true. Um, he wasn't in a hot pursuit after Jesus. He doesn't even ask Jesus to be healed. It is Jesus that comes to him. Jesus was the initiator in this whole thing. Jesus is, uh, is going to do something for a man who was not able to do that thing for himself. And in that sense, ladies and gentlemen, this man with the withered hand is just like me. Oh, I, I got two good hands, all right. But my need was for Jesus to do something for me that I could not do for myself. This command that Jesus gave to this man, um, the command asks him to do something that he could not do. Jesus... You must give to me the thing that you ask of me. And he does. Jesus gives to this man the faith which very soon he will demand of him. Folks, the power to obey the command of Jesus is in the command of Jesus. To illustrate, do you remember the story of Lazarus in John 11? Remember that story? Um, Lazarus died. He's got two sisters, Mary and Martha, and Jesus arrives a little late. He's dead. He's already been buried, and, uh, and, and Jesus says to the girls, he says, oh, take me to where he's, he's buried. And so they get to the cemetery, and Jesus says, uh, roll away the stone. And uh, uh, Jesus says, um, I mean, uh, Mary says to Jesus, oh, oh, don't do that. I mean, he's been dead four days. By this time, he stinketh. <laughs> he stinketh. Don't roll away that stone. I mean, Jesus, he's got to stink. 
And, and then he says to this cave that has now got no stone on it and the aromas are wafting out of the cave. <laughs> um, he says, Lazarus, come forth. Now, folks, I, I read one commentary where the guy said he had to say Lazarus because had he not said Lazarus, he would have emptied the whole cemetery. But so he says, Lazarus, come forth. Now, stay with me. Tell me, how does Lazarus obey that command? He's a dead man, for heaven's sakes. So what is Lazarus doing there? Okay, it's time to wake up, big guy, and go obey Jesus. How, where does that life come from? It's in the command. It's in the words. Folks, how did God create the heavens and the earth? By his spoken word. There is power and life in the command. The command creates life. So now Lazarus, being alive, walks out. Folks, um, Jesus does the same thing here in Matthew 12. He says to a man that has something at the end of his arm that's dead and useless, he says, stretch it out. Stretch forth your hand. The man doesn't ask any questions. And um, he stretches his hand out. Now, had you talked to him later and said, did, did you straighten out your hand? He would have said, well, of course I did. Nobody else unfolded those dead fingers for me. But wait a minute. Did you yourself stretch out your hand? Well, you know, I have tried on numerous occasions to stretch that thing out. But nothing happened. But once that command came, I did do it. Gang, do you understand that that is how regeneration works? Guys, Though I may not have been aware that God was at work within me, inside of me, exchanging my heart of stone for a heart of flesh, but when I became a Christian, the Holy Spirit performs this life-giving work called regeneration. That comes first. It always comes first. So that now when I hear that command to obey and embrace Jesus Christ as my Savior, I, as an alive entity, 
embrace him. I embrace him with a power that was just granted to me by God's gracious intervention. The power is in the command. At that point, the opponents decide we got to kill him. Um, his claim to interpret the law is, in essence, a claim to messianic authority over us, and we cannot have that. And then he just did this miracle to confirm the claim that he made was a, a true one. So his enemies now become murderous. Um, not only had he broken their traditions, he had also shamed them in front of people. And we will not stand for that. He is also eviscerated emasculated our Mishnah. We might as well throw that thing away. So we're going to have to kill him. Gang. Today the world is dead set on removing the one who claims to have authority over them. I will not give up. Or the non-Christian world says, I will not give up my right to make my own choices, my own definitions, my own path. The very thing that he claims in this text is the thing that I claim for myself. But there was one man in that synagogue who's got a new hand. And he also has a new boss. And once you see, I had been brought to life. All of those laws of my new boss, oh, I love them. My new boss is the only one who has the power to set me free. My life is brand new now. I got a new hand. I got a new boss. I got a new life. I got a whole new set of definitions. Because that's what happens, ladies and gentlemen, when we come to Christ. Yeah, we get a ticket to heaven stuck in our pocket. 
But we get more than that. We get a new boss. Our Father, would you open our eyes to see that what Christianity offers us is not some kind of new ethic. It offers us a new boss. It offers us a Savior who can set us free and then instruct us how to live a life of freedom. That freedom found in Christ and Him crucified. Would you um, enable folks to see it who have never seen it before? Might they see that the reason that they have so opposed this Christ is because they themselves wanted to be their own boss? For that we are sorry, O God. You lead on, O King Eternal and it will be our joy to follow you. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name.